I have a message for you this morning entitled, No Longer a Disciple. I'm no longer a disciple. Yeah, that's a good time not to say amen, at least right this minute. Uh, that title is uh, For a Reason. Uh, and you might think, well, wait a minute, aren't we about making disciples? How can, you, how can you stand up in front of us all and say, I'm no longer a disciple? Isn't the end run disciples making disciples? How can you say, I'm no longer a disciple? Aren't you putting together a discipleship training course? How can you possibly say, I'm no longer a disciple? I'm glad you asked me that question four times, because I'm going to answer it for you. Because there's a question that I want to pose to all of you, myself and all of us included, am I a disciple of Jesus Christ? That's a question that, that I ask, I've asked myself, and I want you to ask yourself, am I a disciple of Jesus Christ? That's the question that I pose to you this morning, am I a disciple of Jesus Christ. And again, you might be going, well, that doesn't fit with your title. No longer a disciple. I mean, really a disciple. Really. Now, in order to answer that question, obviously, I have to ask another question. What is a disciple? So, basically, it's simply put, a disciple is this. A, a disciple is a student of a particular teacher or leader, a student. Now, I'm a little bit, I'm not, I'm not highly educated, but I love words, and I love to study words, and I believe all words mean things. And so, if by definition a disciple is a student, say student, uh, is a student of a particular teacher or leader, and in this case, if we're to say that we're disciples, then that means we are students of Jesus Christ. Are you following? So then I have to ask another question. What is a student? What is a student? By definition, a student is anyone who studies, investigates, or examines thoughtfully. A student is anyone who studies, investigates, or examines thoughtfully. So in this context, a disciple of Jesus Christ is a student, someone who studies, investigates, and thoughtfully examines Jesus Christ. I'm no longer a disciple. All right, I, I didn't expect it to be an amen message, so it's all good. Now, it all sounds pretty good, if you think about it. Study, examine, think thoughtfully about Jesus Christ. But here's something that Jesus had to say about being one of his disciples. It's in Luke chapter 14, verse 27. And it says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, in the New International Version of the Bible, it puts it this way. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me, everybody say follow me, cannot be my disciple. So the New King James says, come after me. 
the NIV says, follow me. Now, this is very important, what I'm going to teach you this morning. Now, from the message translation of the Bible, reading from verses 24 through 27, this is something that the Lord enlightened me on yesterday as I was preparing this message. And I want to read this to you. I believe this is up on the screen. Yes, look here. One day, when large groups of people people were walking along with him. Everybody say, walking along with him. So there's a whole church of people, a congregation, and they were walking along with him. Say, walking along with him. Jesus turned and told them, anyone who comes to me must but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brother, sister. Yes, even one's own self cannot be my disciples. How many think that's a pretty high demand? That's a pretty high demand, right? So it started out by saying one day when large groups of people were, say it again, walking along with him, but Jesus goes on to say anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me, can't be my disciple. So you got a whole group of people that are walking along with him. Are you, are you following me? They're walking along. There's a difference between walking along with someone and following behind someone. Now, we, we'll probably look at that in kind of our Anglo-European, Americanized thinking. Dave, come up here and help me out for a minute. And so I'm going to have you walk along with me. So walk along with me. So we're walking along together, right? All right, now, I want you to walk behind me. Now, there, there's a huge difference, okay? Now, this is kind of how we would look at it, thank you, uh, in our American thinking. You can't walk behind someone if you're walking along with them, okay? Now, in the Hebraic or the Judaic way of seeing things and of looking at things, Jesus said something amazingly powerful right here. Again, think about what's happening. He said, he said there's a whole group of people walking along with him, and he stops and turns around at him and says, hey, y'all, you are not going to be my disciples if you're not willing to basically give up everything. In fact, you got to quit walking along with me, and you need to take up your cross and follow behind me. So Jesus, in his Jewish, Judaic, Hebraic thinking, says something profound that all of them will understand, but in our American thinking, we don't really see a vast difference between those those two things. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. Because Jesus apparently saw a difference between walking along with him and following behind him. You see, I'm no longer a disciple. Because the average disciple just walks along with him. But the true disciple follows behind him. And there's something very profound that I want you to discover about this, and I'd like to look at it this morning. This is number one on your handout this morning, and I believe there are a lot of Christians today that are walking along with Christ, but not following close behind him. Okay? Now, the Hebrews don't actually use the word disciple. They use a Hebrew word called talmudim or Talmudim, however you'd like to pronounce it. And in the Hebraic perspective of this word Talmudim, it goes far deeper than our word 
disciple. Because our word disciple simply means that I'm a student of, and I study and thoughtfully examine. Think about that. I'm going to study Jesus, and I'm going to thoughtfully examine him. (laughs) Seriously? I'm no longer a disciple, Jim. Okay? All right, you all with me so far? So there are a lot of Christians today who are walking along with Christ, but they're not following close behind him. So this word Talmudim, T-A-L-M-I-D-I-M, it was not someone who simply studied a person, a leader. It was not someone who has simply investigated a leader, and it was not someone who thoughtfully examined a leader. A Talmudim was someone who was very, a very close follower of a specific rabbi, okay? And there were many rabbis. In fact, those Jews who did not know and did not recognize Jesus as Messiah did recognize him as one of the major rabbis of that time. Okay, now this is important to understand. So biblical history tells us that a Talmudim, which is the Hebrew word for our word disciple, would walk, literally would walk behind the rabbis and follow them wherever they went. They never walked along with them. Come, let's do this again. Let's say for a minute, I'm the rabbi. All right, you're the Talmudim. But you just want to thoughtfully examine me. So you're just going to walk along with me. Okay? He's not going to get a whole lot from me unless I turn to him. But now he's going to be a Talmudim who follows close behind me. Okay? That means whatever dust I stir up, I'm going to get on him. Whatever du- Okay, thank you very much. Uh, whatever, so I want, us, I want us to get this image. It's time for us to quit walking along with Jesus and follow him very close. We need to see him, yes, as our Messiah. Praise God that we can see him as our Messiah, our Savior, amen. But he's also the great high priest, the great rabbi, Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus the anointed one. And we need to follow after him, and wherever he goes, may the dust that he kicks up get get all over us. There's a Hebraic uh, thing to understand about this statement. So they would follow them. Are you listening? Listen, they'd follow them wherever they went. It wasn't like, well, I'll see you on Saturday or I'll see you on Sunday. Everywhere that the rabbi went, those who were Talmudim to that rabbi, because a rabbi would pick his students based on a number of different criteria that we will look at, and those students would follow him everywhere that he went, do everything that he did, try to to mimic everything and imitate everything that he did because they were more than just people who studied, examined, and thoughtfully investigated. See, I think this is a problem that we've lowered the bar on discipleship to such a matter that now we can just study. We'll study about Jesus. We'll investigate stuff about him, and we'll thoughtfully examine him, Sharon, versus following so close to him that if the dust even stirs where he's walking, it gets on me. That's a whole different point. Are you with me? So now, just for a minute, I want you to think about the conditions of the Judean uh, desert. And I want you to kind of keep that in mind. Desert, okay? Everybody's in this dry, 
uh, Judaic, Judean desert, and we're going to come back to that in a, in, a, in a moment and readdress it. So keep that in your mind, what it must be like walking in a dry, dusty, arid desert. Are you all with me? That's, they walked everywhere they went, and you'd always see a group of people with a rabbi out in front and, and a group of Talmudim following that rabbi. And of course, we, that's what happened with Jesus Christ for the most part, except uh, this day he's saying, and I think metaphorically, I don't think there was a lot of people walking right beside him necessarily, but in their hearts they were just examining him, studying him, but they weren't following after him. All right? So how do we get a better grasp on a disciple and a Talmudim? Well, the best way might be to compare it this way. Many religions and many philosophies have students and disciples. In fact, most all religions and most all philosophies have very ardent, passionate, and zealous disciples. Consider uh, back into the uh, age of antiquities with uh, Plato and Socrates, okay? They certainly had followers that did everything they could to be like them. I want to learn everything that Plato and Socrates uh, knows, they would say. What he knows, I want to know. Uh, the wisdom he has, I want to have. Whatever he knows, I want to know. This is important. So they would absorb all that they could from these great minds as they studied them, investigated them, and thoughtfully examined them. They were disciples. Those people were disciples of Socrates and Plato. Now, contrast that with a, a Talmudim. This is number two. And this is super-duper important. A Talmudim not only wants to know what the rabbi knows, but he wants to be what the rabbi is. Are you hearing me? You see, a disciple just simply wants to know what Jesus knows. But a Talmudim, a true disciple, wants to be what Jesus is. All right? He said, the same mind that is in him, let this mind also be in you. As I do, you do as well. We're supposed to imitate Jesus. I don't want to just know what Jesus knows. I want to be what Jesus is. I didn't say I want to be a Messiah, but when I get around people that need healing, by gummies, I want to see them get healed. Amen? When I get around people who are dealing with depression and the oppression of demonic forces, I want to be able to cast those demonic forces out with a word. Can somebody say amen? amen. So we've just been spending our time wanting to think like he thinks, to know what he knows, and then try to act upon that knowledge instead of actually walking in the power of who he is. I'm no longer a disciple. And I hope I'm helping somebody today, because I don't just want an intellectual relationship with Jesus. I think a lot of us have a pretty intellectual relationship with Jesus, therefore we try to do the things that Jesus did and they don't work for us. And we wonder why. Must be something wrong with Jesus. Or the church I'm attending. Or the pastor. Maybe you've just spent too much time thoughtfully examining this Jesus. Instead of following so close behind him that spiritually, metaphorically, the dust he kicks up covers you.
So, okay, remember ago when I told you to keep your mind fixed for a moment or two on the Judean desert and the idea there? Uh, well, consider this particular, this is, I, won't, I can't say it in the Hebrew, I'm sorry, I don't speak Hebrew, I've studied Hebrew, but I don't speak Hebrew, um, but this is a, a translation of a rabbinic uh, Hebraic statement, and it was, a, it was a greeting that would be given to the Talmudim who were following after their rabbis, and they would say, may, the, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Instead of what we say, how you doing, brother? They say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Woo! That speaks to me this morning. And they would say, may I be covered in the dust of my rabbi. So it it may be an odd uh, greeting or wish that you would give a friend, but back in the time when Jesus walked the earth, to be covered in the dust of a rabbi was to wish them to become the righteousness in the sight of the Lord that that rabbi appeared to be. Let me say that again. The idea behind that to say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi would be, may you be so covered in the righteousness that he appears to be that you carry that same thing on you. And we are the righteousness of Christ, amen, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But the problem that many of us don't feel that way is we've just been spending too much time walking along with him and not walking behind him so that the dust Everything that he stirs up as he walks gets on us. Huh? How many old hot rodders? Huh? Any old hot rodders? You know what I'm talking about? You'd, you'd want to gas that engine, goose that engine, right? You'd pass somebody and you'd go, eat my dust. Right? How, how would they eat their dust? Not by riding alongside of you nose to nose. They got to be where, Mike? Behind me. I'm preaching a lot better than your amen this morning. So obviously we don't use this word Talmudim. In Believer School of Excellence, the third class is not called Talmudim training. It's called discipleship training. So that's our English word for the Hebrew word Talmudim. But we don't see that word disciple as deeply as it means, as it actually means, okay? So it is my goal that we begin to think deeper than that. In fact, there's many things in the Hebraic language, in Hebraic thinking, that doesn't even make sense or register for comprehension in our English thinking. Doesn't even I mean, how, how many times have you read that scripture and didn't see that part, a difference in that part? They were walking along with him, and the difference where Jesus said, because Jesus pretty much rebuked them, didn't he? He's, they're walking along with him, and he says, hey, you can't be my disciples if you're not willing to leave everything behind. In fact, if you don't pick up your cross and, and quit follow, uh, walking alongside of me and start following behind me, see, there's a difference in actual comprehensive thinking. Well, pastor, do you mean I have to know Hebrew to know the Bible? No, I don't even know Hebrew. But I need to see it through Hebraic or Hebrew eyes to get a better understanding. Uh, where uh, That's why I'm saying I'm no longer a disciple in our Anglo-European-American mindset of it. Am I helping anybody? So number three on my 
handout this morning, three of four, by the way, is it is my prayer that we are no longer mere disciples. Uh, And many of us have taken great, and I, I I want to use this word carefully, pride. And I don't mean you've walked around like some prideful, arrogant person, but we've taken pride in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, But I don't want us to no longer be mere disciples who only walk along with Jesus, but I want us to be disciples because that's our English word. We're not going to change our verbiage. It's now called Talmudim training. You know, the outsider would come in here and go, whoa, it's a Talmudim. Sounds kind of like Al-Qaeda to me. We're still going to use the word disciple, but I want you to have the mindset that now it's not walking along with Jesus. But it's walking behind him, and not just to know him and to know what he knows, but to be like him. And that's what the word Christian means, little Christ. We are, we are to appear to be like Christ. And quite frankly, this modern-day watered-down Christianity is not very much like Christ. It's like Christian, religion. So that should be our goal, to walk so closely behind our master that we are covered in whatever dust he kicks up, that we are covered in who he is, not some religious ideology of who he is, but to truly be like him so that wherever you go, Jesus, so much of Jesus is all in you and all over you that you get the same results, and we should be getting the same results. In fact, we should be getting better results according to Scripture. Greater things than these shall you do. Not many of us can tout that, brag if I can use that word, that, oh yeah, I've done greater things than Jesus. But Jesus said you ought to be doing greater things. Mm. So, now let me get you, give you a little bit of background. Are you having as much fun as I am right now? I'm going to walk you through the steps that a Jewish child would walk through, uh, which is absolutely... You can't use this as an oxymoron to say absolutely most likely. (laughs) But more than likely, just short of absolutely exactly what Jesus went through as a Hebrew child. Because remember, we don't know much about his life between the ages of 12 and 30. At 12, we know the story of him debating with the rabbis... And then we don't know anything after that until he starts his ministry at the age of 30. This was not an unusual scene. The only thing that's unusual about this specific scene is that it's our Messiah, Jesus Christ. But it's not unusual to the scene of the normal Jewish life. So let me go through it. The first stage of it is called Bet Sefer. And for Jews living in Jesus' day, there were three stages of education. 
The first, as I said, was called Bet Sefer. And it, it started, those of you who have young children, I want you to think of this. It started from the ages of 6 to 12. At 6 years old, Jewish children began their formal education. And their formal education was not reading, writing, and arithmetic. Their formal education had to do with the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible. Okay, that was their formal education. Both boys and girls attended the synagogue, uh, and they were taught to read and to write. And the textbook was one textbook, and it was the, the scrolls of the Torah. And the goal, listen, the goal in that 6 to 12 years range was not just to have read it, but to memorize it. All of it. Don't tell me we haven't lowered the bar. Some people can't even remember how to quote John 3.16, let alone 6 to 12-year-olds who could quote the entire first five books of the Bible. Say what? Some of you who have 6-year-old kids are going, not my 6-year-old. Some of you who have 12-year-olds are going, not my 12-year-old. Maybe there's just too much screen time, not enough page time. So can you imagine what it would be like? As a child of six, here's the picture. You'd go to the synagogue, and the most respected man in the city would greet you at the door, and he would hand you a slate. And on that slate, uh, traditionally and historically, he'd put a dollop of honey up in the corner or at the top of that slate, and then he would have you all sit down, and then he would open up the ancient scroll of the Torah, and you'd sit there speechless as a 6 to 12-year-old sitting in the presence of this highly esteemed rabbi, and then he would say, taste the honey. And that, that student of 6 to 12-year-old would take a taste of that honey, and then he would say the Torah, of course in the Hebrew language, he would say the Torah is sweeter than the honeycomb. Now, can you imagine the impact that this might have, that whenever that child ever tasted honey after that, they wouldn't think about the bee that made it. They'd think about the Torah. See, everything that was happening in that setting was to indoctrinate, raise up that child with a thinking that was completely surrounded by and enveloped by the Torah, what was said in the first five books of the Bible. Now, at the conclusion of this particular period of time, and even to this day and age, when a young Jewish boy turns 12 years old, there's a thing called a bar mitzvah. And that boy would be welcomed into the community, and he'd be welcomed into the community as a full-fledged male member of the community. Following that milestone, the boy would either be qualified at that point to continue on to the next stage of education, and even if he qualified, he would, however, now begin to learn his father's trade at the age of 12, to follow in the footsteps of his father. See, in the Jewish uh, life, uh, G Jesus Christ, he would have actually been known as uh, uh, Yeshua uh, bar Joseph, or Yosef, Jesus, the son of Joseph. That's how, they, how you were titled in that time. Now, only the best of the best of the best would be hand-selected and chosen to go to the next stage. Are you with me? 
So here's what you, very quickly, 6 to 12 years old, you go to the synagogue to meet this amazing human being, the great rabbi, and you'd be, have this connection between honey, the sweetness of the taste, and the sacred word of God, and you were expected in those six years to memorize the first five books of our Bible. How many of you at 60 would go, can't do that? Six-year-olds, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and so only the best of the best who the, that rabbi could see something amazing in would then be chosen to go to the next stage of education. And the next stage of education was called Bet Midrash. And it would be for boys only at this point uh, in, the, in the Jewish culture. And that would be for boys from the ages of 13 to 15. And they would be deemed worthy to continue their educational pursuits and to study the, uh, it would, it, the Old Testament was called the Tanakh, and to study the Tanakh in its entirety, as well as learning the family trade. Because remember, there's one more stage, and if they didn't pass that second stage, they better know their dad's trade, because otherwise they were beggars on the side of the road. Okay? And so they were, they, now it wasn't to see if they could memorize, they had to memorize uh, the entire Tanakh what? Let me help you something. The entire Tanakh or Old Testament refers to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the poetic books, and the wisdom books, and the prophetic books. Memorize. 13 to 15 years old. The whole thing. The whole thing. <laughs> I know it puts me on tilt, as well as your family trade. So let's put our great rabbi, our Messiah, Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus the Christ, in that setting. He, he, every Jewish boy went through this. Just because Jesus was born the Son of God does not mean he sat around at his house and just built tables and chairs. Son of a carpenter. He went through this process as well. The fact that he was in the synagogue at the age of 12 debating with the rabbis tells us that this process took place. The fact that he started his ministry at 30, which was the normalcy for any of these, as you'll see in this process, shows us that he went through the same steps that any normal Jewish boy, young man, would go through. But he was different. So, very few were selected for this particular pursuit. Then came the next point, which was called Bet Talmud. And, uh, and again, I already said only the best of the best, but that was from the first Bet Safer. Now only the best of the best from Bet Midrash were chosen to take this next phase. All the rest had to go fish with their dads or whatever else they had to do with their dads. And that would end up being their legacy for life, and they would end up being in the same business, and they'd raise sons etc., and so on, and so on, and so on. So in Bet Midrash, which is the final educational leg, I'm sorry, Bet Talmud, my bad, uh, this was the longest in duration. Listen, I want you to get a picture of our Savior. This particular setting, remember the first one went from 6 to 12, the next one went from 13 to 15, this last segment of education went from the ages of 16, are you ready, to 30, to 30. 
I just got chili bumps right then. Jesus started his ministry at the Jordan River at the age of 30. It was the longest in duration, and to uh, participate, you had to literally personally be invited by that rabbi to come take this section of education. And if selected, the process of grooming would lead to the potential of becoming a rabbi at the age of 30. It wasn't to say you had to become a rabbi, but you now had the potential to truly actually become a rabbi once you turned 30. Those who were chosen were referred to as Talmudim. <laughs> Those who were chosen to take that last journey with a specific rabbi were called Talmudim. They would literally follow in the dust of their rabbi. Listen, what I'm sharing with you right now, if you were living in that day and age, you would see this happening all around you. There goes the great rabbi, and there's his Talmudim. Look at him. They're following right behind him. They're so close. In fact, the dust he kicks up with his sandals is getting on him. So much was that a picture of life in the Hebraic life that it became a greeting to the Talmudim. May the dust of your rabbi cover you. Woo! May the dust of my rabbi, my great high priest, my Messiah, Jesus Christ, cover me. May he cover you. Ain't happening if you're just walking along with him. Rob, I'm no longer a disciple. I'm a Talmudim. I want to be a Talmudim. Now, they would uh, follow so closely that they would try to emulate his actual mannerisms. He'd say certain things. They'd want to repeat those certain things. They would go to sleep at the same time he went to sleep, and they'd wake up at the same time he woke up. And, and more importantly, they would learn to study the rabbi or excuse me, to study the Torah and understand God in exactly the same way as their rabbi understood God. So much so, they followed after him. And I believe that this appears that Jesus himself followed the same model. Even though Jesus was born the Son of God, he lived his life up to 30 as any other Hebrew boy and young man. He would have gone to those classes from 6 to 12. That's why he was able to debate the rabbis at 12, astound them, in fact, with his knowledge of the what? Torah. I'll guarantee you he had it all memorized. It was in his heart. He was the Torah. <laughs> so he was clearly hand-marked. Got to watch out for this one. He's definitely going to be a rabbi someday. And probably all the other rabbis were flipping coins on who was going to get him. From the age of 13 to 15, now he went to the next stage, and he not only memorized the Torah, he memorized the entire Old Covenant. And he was so under, he, he knew it with such depth and with such understanding, I'll bet you only the highest class of rabbis could get these kids between the ages of 13 and 15. And they were probably jockeying for position with this one Yeshua Bar Joseph, or Yosef. He's pretty sharp. He sure does know these scriptures. He not only quotes them, but he can tell you about them, and he can even explain what they mean. I want that one. Every rabbi is probably, you know, drawing straws on who gets Jesus. And Jesus follows a rabbi. 
the, the Bible history does not express to us what happens to him from the ages of 12 to 30. It's not written in there. But if he's anything like any other Jewish young man, he went through the same things that history shows us here. And he probably followed a specific rabbi from the ages of 15 to 30. 15 years. With knowing that i got to get so close to this rabbi, I have to set the example for every other Talmudim. I'm going to get so close to this rabbi that who he is and what he does and what he thinks and what he believes and how he acts, it gets all over me. That ain't the normal Christian, y'all. We live vicariously. A lot of Christians live vicariously through the spirituality of their pastor. A lot of husbands live vicariously through the spirituality of their wives. We should be living so accurately to what Jesus did that we, in many respects, in this human frame, become everything that he was, short of the Savior. So Jesus uh, starts his ministry formally at the age of 30. As I said, the Bible is silent as to who his mentors may have been, but we do know uh, that he selected his own disciples. He went through a process of selecting his own disciples, just like those young 15-year-olds that would be invited to uh, to Bet Talmud. Uh, They left, these disciples that Jesus picked, they left everything to follow their rabbi. This great rabbi, he's historical. Everybody's heard about Yeshua Bar Joseph. And he's been under the great rabbi, and now he's getting ready to start. Listen, this was no oddity to them. And then this guy Yeshua bar Yosef comes and says, follow me, follow me. We don't have any, any record of these 12 disciples saying, but wait a minute, Jesus, I'm a fisherman. Now, in fact, we got a lot of history that says a lot of the guys, if maybe even all the guys, never even made it through the second phase of this educational process. That's why they were doing their dad's trade when Jesus came to get them. They dropped everything, Mike, to do what? Follow and may the dust of this rabbi, I can't believe I've been chosen. I was passed by all those years ago, and this guy's coming along and said, no, you, fisherman Peter, follow me. They knew what that meant. I feel the anointing of Jesus Christ in this place. So they left everything to follow this rabbi from Galilee. They didn't know he was the Messiah. I'll guarantee they knew of him, of his reputation. No doubt they walked in his dust, wanting to be just like their rabbi. That was their culture. He's my rabbi. He's, I'm going to be like him. I'm going to eat like he does. I'm going I'm to sleep when he does. I'm going to get up when he does. Uh, uh, how he talks, I want to talk. And what he thinks, I want to think. And what he knows, I want to know. And who he is, I want to be. That's a whole big difference, y'all, from our idea of a disciple. Jesus trained his Talmudim in three years. Not 15. He trained them in three years and they turned the world upside down. Many of us have been Christians for buku years. 
Couldn't think of a better adjective. And can still barely make it through the week without failing God. It's just because we're just happy to walk along with him. And we have no cost of the discipleship to give up everything for him. To walk so closely behind him that even if he makes a breeze, a wake of dust, wake if I can feel the draft, that I can follow. All right, I think I'm ready to close. Far too many Christians settle for so little in their Christian walk. And therefore, because far too many Christians settle for so little, Christianity as a whole is left severely lacking. Most of the world, especially this millennial age, has no trust in Christians, no trust in religion, no trust in churches, no trust in pastors. They're sick of thoughtfully examining something. It has to be real. And quite frankly, most Christians aren't very real, except on Sunday. Or except when called upon at that specific moment to say all the right things and do all the right things. And this is... I'm not suggesting that we become like any of these other radical people, but Christianity is severely lacking... You know, I mean, the, the idea of this passion and this ardent zeal is, a, is, is, is so well seen in even some of our, our brothers and sisters, if we can say that, from the Jehovah Witness that will go door to door. They have a segment of life that they're, you know, wear the black tie and the white shirt and go door to door to door. To, are you, if that was demanded of most Christians, they say, I don't, I'll go to another church. You, thank you for nodding, because you know that's true. Or some of the zeal and ardency and passion of some of these satanic religions that do month-long fast and all I got and declare jihad and are willing to commit suicide for their God. They weren't just disciples of their religion. They were Talmudim of their spiritual leader, their rabbi. I'm not saying we become them, but... Why is Christianity so severely lacking in its passion and zeal, its ardency? It's because for the most part we're, Christian, we're, we're casual church attenders who call ourselves Christians and we're happy to simply be disciples even though we're not willing to give up everything for him. Why does the truth seem powerless in comparison to some of these other religions? Could it be that the followers of Jesus Christ have so lowered the bar and have accepted such a watered-down version of truth that the original cannot even be seen today? That the original can't be seen. And I wonder, if this is true, then what is the remedy? Well, let's go back to the beginning of this message for a minute. And I'll, I'll bring it to an end here. I said, the question I want to ask all of you is, am, to have you, excuse me, have you asked yourselves, am I a disciple of Jesus Christ? How are we actually doing in raising Talmudim? We're probably good at raising up 
watered down, weak need disciples. But not very good at raising up devil fighting, victorious, overcoming, people healing, people saving, people delivering disciples, true disciples of Jesus Christ that are so covered in the dust of his righteousness that wherever they go, even their shadows heal people as they walk by. May this be a challenge to all of us. My title wasn't some clever notion. I think I'll entitle it, let's see, No Longer Disciples. That'll get their attention. No. I ask myself, I bring messages that I myself have had to go through. Because we all get stuck back into our normalcy and our comfort zone. And there's nothing comfortable about being a Christian, a true Talmudim, a true disciple of Jesus Christ. In fact, it should be so uncomfortable that you absolutely love that zone. Can't wait to get my next divine appointment at Walmart. Most Christians wouldn't even dare. They'd walk around going, huh? Kneel down and pray for their foot right here in the cashier line? I'll catch them outside. Come on, y'all. So am I a disciple of Jesus Christ? And how are we as a church, as the church, how are we doing in raising Talmudim? How challenged might there be some parents today to go... Excuse me, you want to do what on the iPad again? You can have screen time after you've read the first five books of the Bible. I mean, come, seri- yeah, come on. Number four on your, pa- your paper, and this is the last one. I believe the time has come to reclaim discipleship and to again raise the bar. We need to follow in the dust of our rabbi, Jesus Christ. We know, of course, he was more than just a rabbi. All rabbis were called with a little lowercase r. In fact, through some of my Judaic books back there, I have the Midrash and other books that they're literally written in in Hebrew. The English is there so I can read it, guys like me. But the book reads from the back to the front, just like it would in normal Hebrew Hebrew, uh, uh, writing. And those rabbis are always with a little r. But not our rabbi, our teacher, our master. Our teacher and our master took it to another level to become our savior and our redeemer. Amen? But he's still our teacher and our master and our rabbi Yeshua. Let's quit walking along with him and start walking close behind him. And may the dust of his righteousness cover you. May you walk so closely behind him that your mannerisms become like his mannerisms. May you walk so closely behind him that what you say would probably be something that he would say. May you walk so closely behind him that how you think would be how he would think in any given circumstance. If you can believe it and you can receive it, would you give the Lord a praise in the house of God this morning? Come on.